Hi, everybody. It's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. I love you. And I'm Matsy. And I'm the other guy, Micah. On Animation Celery, we give each other cartoons to watch. And then the next episode, we review and discuss them. And because this is going to air around about Valentine's Day, we'll be looking at lovey-dovey tunes. I gave Matsy, I Love the Chipmunks Valentine special. And he tucked into my mailbox, the Smurfs, Romeo and Smurfette. Uh, but before that, we're going to talk about the week that was. And, you know, probably not a lot of romance, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not Valentine's Day yet. Or, or this last week True. wasn't. True um, enough. Yeah. What I do this week? I I totally forgot to watch Hitmonkey. I'll get to that. Boo. Did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Well, then you can talk about it in your thing. Yeah. Uh, but for me, let's see. What did I do? I obtained my third video game art book. Oh. Which is pretty cool. So my first one was The Art of Splatoon. Ha. And Interesting. Hmm? Yeah, Interesting. I like... I like the aesthetic of Splatoon a lot. I like the aesthetic of it more than I like the game. And I I do like the game. Mm. Uh, my second art book was The Art of Splatoon 2, which mm. is undis... And then I expect that sometime in 2023, The Art of Splatoon 3 will show up, and I will obtain that as well. But this isn't a Splatoon. This is The Art of Shantae. Neat. Yeah. I've never played them myself. I have only played one. So there are five. Okay. Uh, Shantae, real briefly, is a video game series about a half genie. And she is the defender of Sequin Land. <laughs> she, yeah, she, uh, her primary attack is whipping her long, long ponytail. And she also has the ability to belly dance and transform into animals or other sorts of creatures, harpy or spider or whatnot. Mm. Um, her primary antagonist is the pirate queen, Risky Boots. Hey. And she has some friends, uh, the falconer lady, Bo, uh, no, the falconer lady, Sky, the token male doofus, Bolo, and the, uh, zombie lady, Roddy Tops. <laughs> okay. And... Yeah, so there's five games in the series. I haven't played the first three. They were like Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance. Uh, the fourth one, Shantae Half Genie Hero, was the first one that had a like serious release on like PC, and I played it on the Switch. Mm -hmm. um, the fifth one I still need to get to. It's called. It just came out, I think, in the last year or two, called Shantae and the Seven Sirens. Um, hmm. But this this book contains art from all five games, all the way from concept sketches. It has the original napkin that the creator Aaron Bell first drew Shantae on. And it even has like her experimenting with different spellings of the word Shantae. Okay. So nice and thorough. Uh, the reason that this is attractive to me is that Shantae is made by a game company called Way Forward. Mm -hmm. And they sort of specialize in games about cute girls. Now, oh. um, now that's not to say that these are like 
thin H games or whatever. They're no. not. They are no. like legitimately well-crafted like platformers with upgrades and puzzles and boss fights and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, and in fact, the characters never really do anything particularly horny. <laughs> okay. It just so happens that, you know, they're they're fighting and like, you know, oh, I got to go over here and whatever. But also she's a genie in like a tiny little bra and big like, you know, gauzy genie pants. Right. And and risky boots. The So the game that I have, I got the um, I think it's called the Ultimate Edition, uh, which includes a bunch of DLC, uh, mm-hmm. including a bunch of alternate modes that you can play through. Um, one of which is one where you can play through as Risky Boots. And it has cutscenes in between missions where she's just in a bubble bath, like barely covered by bubbles. Ooh. So it's like and then like various different versions like of of the you know, alternate game. What's the way? How can I describe this? Like alternate game modes have Shantae in different costumes, which give her different abilities. Like there's one where it's jammies mode where she's in her pajamas and her hair is not in a ponytail. So she has to, uh, swipe her pillow at things. (laughs) Um, or there's one, um, where there's another game that way forward made called mighty switch force, Okay. Which was a 3DS game. It's a puzzle platformer where you are a police officer who is a... I think she has like a cybernetic body, but it's basically a lady in a one-piece bathing suit, kind of, with a helmet and a siren on top. <laughs> and the main gameplay mechanic of that is by pushing a button, there are these blocks that some are solid and some are like incorporeal. And mm-hmm. by pushing a button, you can switch them. And so you have to, like, puzzle your way through the levels and find the five escaped hooligans who are all cute girls in little striped prison outfits. They're <laughs> they're stuck in place because they have, like, a big ball and chain attached to them. Okay. And so these, these games aren't pervy unless you're a fan of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Shantae Half-Genie Hero has a mode that is that, where Shantae is in that police outfit Mm. and in addition to getting through the levels there's also the other characters like risky and sky and roddy tops uh in convict outfits it's like it's kind of like you know how um like in popeye sometimes they'll like cast the characters in different roles where it's like it's still popeye in olive oil but for all intents and purposes in this one popeye is like a shorter cook or whatever yeah 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 so it's like that, where it's like, in this version of the game, it's Mighty Switch Force. Hmm. Whatever. So anyway. Hmm. Hmm? You know, actually, I, um, it's not like a lavish art book, but uh, was m- one of my Value Village finds. I'm sure you're looking to figure oh. out that's like a discount store chain. Um, yeah, yeah. Secondhand and, store. Yeah, secondhand. So I found um, the art of Dragon's Crown. That was a a huge find. Yeah. Dragon's Count is a uh, game from Atlas slash Sega. Yeah, speaking of huge. Yeah. It's like a classic beat-em-up, except the artwork resembles more like Odin's sphere. It's it's like, um, not exactly cut out, but things are kind of lavishly 
uh, illustrated and mm. uh, everything is over the top. And yeah, as, as you alluded to, there's the, the characters, whether they're playable characters or NPCs or monsters uh, tend to be gratuitous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's put it that way. It, but anyway, great art in the game. And I hadn't even played the game yet. Since since that time, I've totally played the heck out of that game. But uh, um, mm. ironically, that even though that game is a big beat-em-up, every few levels you have a cooking section. And that's the <laughs> part that I'm always wanting. Like, ooh, I wish they'd just distill <laughs> it down to the cooking, man. <laughs> you know, get the spices and the oil in there and then make my muscle soup and make my there's onion a, rings. There's a game coming out that's like that. I can't, it's like a... Um, it's this 2D platform where you run around and, and fight enemies and then you can get ingredients from the enemies that you can use to cook dishes that'll improve your abilities in different ways. Mm. I can't remember what it's called, though. The game is called Dungeon Munchies. Oh, I, uh, it's still your turn, I guess. I, I, but I, I, I've been reading. Um, I got the two latest volumes of Delicious and Dungeon. I've mentioned oh, that yeah. on the podcast, I think. Yes, you have. Yeah, yeah. So more cooking monsters. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, so the art of Shantae, I mm. I really like it. Lots of cute yeah. girls. I I tweeted once long ago. Risky boots. It, the character designs are not gratuitous. I would say, like they're a yeah. little skimpy, and sometimes their poses are kind of alluring. But okay, ris- risky boots. If you look at her character design, she has uh, like a, a, a breastplate top that's shaped like a skull mm. where the two eyes of the skull are the cups that hold her boobs. Yeah. It's, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Are you looking at her? Yeah. I mean, one of the great names for sure. Risky Boots. Yeah, the um, the version that I got, the Ultimate Edition, it actually came with a little art book. And also, I totally forgot about this until like two days ago. Mm. Uh, it also came with a CD soundtrack, which is yeah. called Risky Beats. Huh. Which is pretty good. She brings shame to the family name, though. Does not, in fact, wear boots. Doesn't she? No, high-heeled shoes. Oh, well, well. Actually, oh, well. the the front is upturned, an upturned spike, you know, that kind of shoe. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one other thing, I'm going to talk about this more next week, but yeah. as a public service announcement for anyone who's interested, I think as we're recording right now, or I guess as you're listening to it right now, the fourth season of Disenchantment has apparently appeared on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, Disenchantment is the current and third animated series from Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons and Futurama. And it is his uh, medieval fantasy series. Hmm. It is okay, but it feels dated. Like it's, it's, it sort of feels like, you know, The Simpsons was revolutionary when it came out. And then, and then Futurama was like, oh man, this is also pretty cool. And now it's, Kind of like, okay. It's, it's another Matt Groening series. more of that. Well, yeah. yeah, but also, like, I'm looking at the voice cast, like, oh, Billy West, yep, Maurice LaMarche. Uh, every female character except the main one is Tress McNeil. In fact, I was, there was one scene where there was, the prince was marrying a fairy. Mm. 
And so at the wedding, I was looking the prince, the fairy, the priestess who was doing the wedding and the prince's mom are all Tress McNeil. <laughs> I was like, you cannot like there are like literally like three female voices, three male, vo- three female voice actors in this entire series almost. And mm. 90% of them are Tress McNeil. It's crazy. But I'm going to watch that. I haven't had a chance yet because as we're recording, like I've been at work all day and it just came out today. So I haven't even had a chance to look. Right. Um, but it is there. And I will report back on that next week along with Hitmonkey. I promise I'll do Hitmonkey next week. Oh, man. Or you can just talk about it now. Well, I, one thing first, I get to break this to you, I guess, since you didn't mention it right there. Uh, Futurama is coming back for like 20 episodes. Oh my Lord. Are you kidding me? No, on Hulu. I didn't hear this at all. It it was announced today, I think. And it's uh, today being uh, February 9th. Um, But there's a stink about it. They're bringing everybody back, but John DiMaggio. (gasps) Yeah. Okay. Indirectly, he seems upset about it because he's retweeting people that are that are upset about it. That. okay. so I have complained on this very show. Yeah, that I feel like uh, um, John DiMaggio kind of lost the Bender voice the longer it went. Sure. But that said, you cannot cast someone else as Bender. Mm. That's disgusting. Like if they have a different voice doing Bender. Like, I am stinky about that. And I don't even like him as Bender that much. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> also, I think that that show's last series finale, it had like four series finales. And I hmm. thought the last one wrapped it all up really well. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm, ast- I, I'm astounded they're bringing it back and I'm disgusted that they're not using John DiMaggio because I love John DiMaggio. I've yes. said before, his role, he is in uh, Disenchantment. He's the king, yep. King Zog. And it's his best role. Like, he's hilarious as King Zog. He's he's great. He's one of those voice actors that I don't know that I'll ever get tired of. I mean, Except I, you his know, bender. I, well, I got tired of his bender, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, every time he shows up, he's like, oh, that's him in a minor role in Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Hooray. Oh, he's so good as Jake in Adventure Time. Like, yeah, that's I, that's disgusting. I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's all rumors and stuff. Like, mm. one of the rumors is that uh, he wanted the same money as uh, uh, Billy West and uh, Katie Seagal. And they well, said he should no. get it. Yeah, he totally they're should. The main, he's the most, they're the main he's, three characters. Well, and he's more popular than those two. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway. So I got, I got to break that to you here. And, well, you and did. Probably, probably, well, it'll be a week hence for everybody listening to this. But maybe they haven't heard. Um, now I'm all riled up. Yeah. So you can, I'm sure all this hit monkey news will just fly past you. Um, I watched a couple episodes of hit monkey. Uh huh. Um, it's, it's all right. There's, um, so the, the basic idea of it is that there's a, uh, very talkative hitman named Bryce who gets, double crossed by his employer and his ghost 
haunts a macaque whose tribe was also killed <laughs> by those criminals. Yeah, it's so yeah. more or less my flimsy description of what I thought it was was kind of accurate. Yes, um, I don't really like him that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 ghost. Yeah. Um, but I do like Hit Monkey quite a lot. Okay. Because he's got, he doesn't speak, but he, he conveys quite a bit of emotion. <laughs> um, now, the show itself is really inconsistent. Hmm. Like, the level of polish varies incredibly. Now, um, I never watched Archer. I imagine it's kind of what that looks like. You know? Uh... So, like... So like things aren't fully animated, right? It's yeah. it's like at times it's like a highly animated motion comic almost, you know. Hmm. And that's what I'm okay. saying that s- s- some things are totally polished and other things just totally not. I have watched Archer, and so I will have to report back with a side by side comparison of them. Yeah. Hmm. So. It's it's okay enough to watch. Like I, I would say it's not going to be my favorite. Mm. And also, I find the uh, portrayal of Japan to be kind of hokey too. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we've seen some pretty hokey portrayals of Japan <laughs> <Yes>. recently. <laughs> That's true. That's By true. the way, I had to I had to rewatch some of that cartoon, the Hiss and Hers, to get the Celery Stalker slogan. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until like my third time watching it at the very end. <laughs> and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the wife, Japanese beetle. Yes. And I sort of thought, oh, she doesn't have a black stripe around her middle. I wonder if that's a screw up or a thing. And then it suddenly hit me that, oh, that black stripe isn't part of the beetle's anatomy. It's his black belt. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> Just wears it everywhere. Um, so I watched I watched a bunch of things this this past week. I watched. um. Hit me. Uh, I, I tried Midnight Gospel. Which oh! It only took a year after your recommendation for me to try it out. Well, um, my recommendation was lukewarm. Yeah, so um, I guess once again to catch our listeners up, Midnight Gospel is a series in which the main character uh, has a computer that lets him visit alternate realities uh, with like by inhabiting an avatar version of himself. And then he meets people and has discussions, but the discussions are like real life discussions with only faint amount of service to the plot. So they're just like talk, talking about drugs and drug use, but then every once in a while I have to remind you, Oh, there's a zombie, you know? Yeah. It's basically like a podcast that's animated. Yes. Yes. With just little reminders once in a while that's going on. Right. In, mm-hmm. in the narrative of the show. Um, yeah. The the visuals are quite crazy. I've only watched two episodes, but the first one is a zombie apocalypse. And uh, they're discussing drug and drug use while, you know, navigating a world full of dangerous zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's then, talking to the president in that one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and the next one, they're talking about like spirituality and... It's all while they're being being processed by an alien uh, slaughterhouse. Yeah, they're like cows and going through the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. So just give you kind of an idea of what that show is. And I think um, if I were just listen to their discussions, maybe I wouldn't find them super profound, but it synthesizes really well all of the, like, I find it just, you know, pretty pleasant to watch. It, um, I found it hard to kind of keep track of both things. Oh. Um, but I did, like, there's there's one episode that takes place almost entirely outside the computer, like in the real okay. world. I liked mm. that one. And I kind of wanted to see more of that, like more of like, ooh, let me see more of this world that they're actually inhabiting. Uh, huh. There's some cool characters that show up later, like this lady knight who always has a rose in her mouth, which huh. is just a neat little touch. The last episode of that. Um, like I like I said, my recommendation of it was lukewarm. I was mm. kind of going through it like, OK, but the last episode of the Midnight Gospel yeah. is one of the best episodes of any television I've ever seen. Oh, my God. Well, you got to watch it then. It's it, it, I without giving too much spoiler. Mm. It's the main guy. I think his name is Clancy. Yes. Although although he is actually for this one, he's actually broken character because his discussion is with his mom. Oh, who is legitimately dying of breast cancer. Oh, my God. It's it is an amazing episode of television. It's it's heart wrenching, but it has I will never forget watching that episode. It's incredible. It's what it's worth watching the Midnight Gospel just to get to that one episode. In fact, it might even be worth just watching that one episode by itself if you're not interested in the rest of it. Yeah, I don't know if watching any of the other ones will fill you in. Like, I think you could probably watch them in any order. Maybe. Except for that. Except for that. The uh, continuation is that he takes a souvenir from each of his trips. But yeah, but whatever. There's okay, one. so well, yeah. Okay, from from the poignant to the stupid. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I watched uh, Akebi's sailor uniform. So we've made a habit of watching uh, uh, like one episode of anime each night <laughs> okay. on on Crunchyroll. A, is it like? Uh, is it an episode of a different anime each time? No, but sometimes it is, and sometimes okay. it's just like a random thing. So sometimes it's like, sometimes it's like, oh, let's not watch the next episode of Blue Period. And sometimes it's like, uh, let's watch this. Yes. Yes, very okay. much. Okay. Um, so, yeah, a Kebby sailor uniform. Uh, it's about a, uh, a girl named Komichi who lives out in the middle of nowhere. She's athletic and positive. Um, and she gets inspired when she sees an idol on television do a commercial in the sailor uniform. Um, mm. So like it's, it's not, it's uncommon now, but used to be at schools, the uniform would be like sailor themed, right? For girls. Um, yeah. It, I mean, for like sailor the, moon, for example, th that's the easiest parallel to draw. It's like, think yeah. about sailor moon. That's what we're talking about. Anyway. So she thought this is really cool. And then she found out that her mom went to a high school that had a sailor uniform. And so she decided, so am I, I'm going to go to the same school. And so they make up the uniform, uh, but it's a big move for her because she lives so out in the sticks that this will be the first time she's ever been with anybody else in the same grade. 
<laughs> She's been solo in all of her schooling thus far. Okay, so we watched a couple episodes, and uh, it's fairly well animated. And there are these shots that on their own are just like, they seem normal, okay? But there's quite a few shots of feet in this thing. <laughs> and, you know, so like, like I said, they're normal in context. So it'd be like, she's introspective and she's looking down at her feet and her toes are wiggling, you know? <laughs> but after, after so many of them, Raven pipes up and says, um, I don't like to kink shame, but this show has a foot fetish. Yeah. And so, okay. So her first day at this new school, she gets there way early and there's nobody there, it seems. And then she gets to the classroom and there is somebody there. She steals up her courage and goes in. And the other girl is trimming her toenails. <laughs> right. So like Raven, <laughs> this happens, Raven turns to me and smirks, right? <laughs> but she was premature because uh, the, the girl that's trimming her toenails is unaware that someone else has entered. So the next thing she does is sniff her toenail clippers. <laughs> that's a new one <laughs> yeah i mean okay so yeah we've detected a pattern in this show but <laughs> i think that would be something i would i might do like if i thought i was alone right and not not like as a kinky thing but just like i don't know as a stupid human thing right you sure but, i understand but anyway it was it was something <laughs> when we got to there um <laughs> I remember it's, seeing some anime. I, it was just a little short thing, and I just watched it. What I was like, oh, what's this? And it was these girls talking at school, like three of mm -hmm. them. Like they're coming in because it's raining and they're talking or whatever. And yeah. the more I'm watching it, the more I start to realize that there's no actual greater plot to this. And it's all just an excuse to show lots of scenes of these girls' uh, tights. Like their pantyhose, oh. like okay. wiggling their toes in them or, you know, one of them came out of the rain. And so she's like squeezing her toes to like get the water out of them and stuff. And I'm just hey. watching like, wait, there's no plot to this. This is just gratuitous pantyhose shots. Hey. And I <laughs> I didn't bother watching any more of it. I, I think a Kebby Sailor uniform is better than that. But OK, but, OK, uh, good. I, I I wouldn't mind watching more of it. And okay, so the the, uh, the other thing that we watched that I thought was pretty interesting was Ranking of Kings. So this is a fantasy uh, anime, and the main character Prince Boji, uh, he is his his, his father and mother uh, were giants. <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah, his, his father established the kingdom just by single-handedly repelling all the monsters in the area. Okay. Um, anyway, Prince Boji is like a tremendous disappointment to everybody. <laughs> the, his parent, his father, his, his mother's passed on, but is, is it, uh, the populace, because he's, uh, he's small, even <laughs> for like a regular human size. And uh, he's uh, deaf and dumb. And mm. uh, he, he, on one of his uh, treks outside the walls... He gets mugged by this weird shadow creature thing. It looks, it's like two joined circles, kind of like a container for uh, contact lenses. Okay. With like an eye and then it can uh, extend limbs like a, a crab, a claw or 
like a, a limb to wield a, a knife to threaten him with. Um, sounds like a it, that sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs> it looks like a Pokemon. I mean, we learn that it's like he's a member of the Shadow Clan, which mm. I don't know if that means he's like a cursed human or a skilled human or something else entirely. Anyway, mm. he he's a bandit in any case. And he mugs the prince, but they find that they can communicate like that. The prince just, you know, he, he can't articulate words, right? He just kind of makes noises, but the shadow understands him and vice versa. Although the prince can't technically hear him, he understands everything he's saying. And that compels the uh, prince Boji so much that he keeps on going out every day with more finery to be stolen <laughs> just just to hang out with this thing. And so the 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 bandit, his name is Kage, he um, mm. follows Boji back to his castle. Uh, well, back to the, 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 the township and the castle and, and like learns and sympathizes with just how much everybody disregards him. Mm. And, you know, seems kind of interesting as a premise. It sounds like a dramatic version of that uh, Ren and Stimpy, the littlest giant. <laughs> yeah. And that he is, I guess, the littlest giant. Yeah. Yeah. But is it? It, it promises to be interesting, I guess. Like, it's got, like, conflict in that the king has a second wife and a second son who seems more capable, mm-hmm. but of course isn't in the line of succession, right? Or at least not right, at yeah. the head of it. Yeah. And uh, maybe he's got a treacherous vassal, too. So, um, like I said, I'm interested to see where that goes. But anyway, sure. I, I guess that's what I got. That's what I have for the week that was. Nice and full. Yeah. Okay. Well, podcast over. Wait. Well, we there's talk, cartoons. We got, about, we got about to talk about the cartoons. Yeah. You sure. gave me I love the chipmunks or I heart the chipmunks. I love the chipmunks Valentine special. Mm-hmm. This is 1984. Right at the beginning of the chipmunks uh, cartoon series. At this point, it's called Alvin and the chipmunks. Uh, brief primer on the chipmunks. For anyone who isn't completely familiar with them, uh, the origin of the chipmunks is 1958 and a guy named Ross Bagdazarian. He was a musician who performed under the stage name David Seville. He is the guy who did that song, The Witch Doctor. You know the one? Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, dang, walla, walla, bing, bang. Walla, bing, bang. Ooh, he did that. And in fact, in that song, the witch doctor part, he recorded by singing it slowly on a tape that was uh, recording fast or or recording slow. So it would speed up. Mm. And so it ended up all high and squeaky. And he did that in a a couple of other songs. And the record company pressured him to do more of it because it was kind of hitting something. And so for Christmas of 1958, he recorded the chipmunk song. Uh, the idea here being that David Seville had these three chipmunks who he kind of named after (laughs) executives at the record company, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. And, you know, using that sped up idea. And the song was a huge hit. It was top of the charts. It, it was actually won three Grammy awards and was nominated for the prestigious record of the year. And it's still, to this day, one of the best-selling Christmas songs of all time. Mm. And, of course, from that, 
it was going into the 60s and it's time to start merchandising. So the more albums by David Seville and the Chipmunks, which later became the Chipmunks, showed up. There was a cartoon that only lasted one season called The Alvin Show. And then, sadly, in 1972, Ross Bagdasarian died. But his son, Ross Jr., took over the voices of the three chipmunks. They're all one guy, by the way. Well, uh, well, I'll no, hang no. on. Not, hang no, on. not in this not, one. Yeah. Not in this one, no. Um, in the albums that were being recorded at this time, they were all the same guy. And then came the 80s, where... Everything from video games to sunglasses to John Candy got animated shows based on them. And of course, the Chipmunks, originally Alvin and the Chipmunks, later just called the Chipmunks, which lasted, I think, uh, what did it say, eight, eight or nine seasons. I think it went in from 1983 to 1990, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. This is from 1984. Oh, also worth noting, for this uh, TV series, they added three girl chipmunks, the Chipettes, uh, for the actually rather wholesome reason that they knew there were going to be a lot of songs in these cartoons, and they wanted to have songs that weren't exclusively from a boy's point of view. So Hmm. they added a girl band, the Chipettes. So the chipmunks, the male chipmunks, Alvin and the Chipmunks, are the self-centered cool guy Alvin, the mature, almost nerd, but not really, Simon, and Theodore, who is fat. And he's babyish and sweet, yeah. They live with their adopted father slash band manager, Dave Seville. The (laughs) Chipettes, on the other hand, are three girls. There's Brittany, the self-centered cool girl, Jeanette, the awkward klutz and Eleanor, who is fat. Oh my and, God. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I didn't give them their personalities. Okay. I actually, I actually really like Eleanor's design. I like that. She always wears a tie. That seems like, yeah, it's like weirdly forward facing fashion in a way. I guess so. Anyway, they, they have a guardian named Ms. Ms. Miller. Um, but whatever. Not not at this point, though. Not at this point. She comes in later. Um, right now, they just live in a tree house. Which is kind of an awesome house. Kind of, yeah. It's well, like a, I mean... It's like a mansion. If you consider that they are pop stars in some respect, they're probably making some money. Even I guess if they so. are and just going to school. The Chipmunks has this weird thing where David Seville adopted the Chipmunks from... They, they have a mother. But they oh, just yeah. offer them a better life. But the idea that they're chipmunks at all barely has any reference in the show. They are really anthropomorphized. They're just weird children. They right? are. Yeah. And and so the, the chip the chipettes live in a tree is like the last vestige that <laughs> these are animals of any kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh so yeah. Chipmunks Valentine's Day special. Uh it's a Ruby Spears thing. Mm. And uh, it starts with the Chipettes all preparing Valentines for their respective Valentines in their own ways. Of course, you know, Jeanette gets covered with glue. Eleanor is mm. baking a cake. Something that caught my eye as an adult that probably wouldn't have caught my eye as a child 
mm-hmm. is the fact that when Eleanor takes the cake out of the oven, it's already iced. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> now they're getting ready for the Valentine's Day ball. And, you know, obviously Jeanette and Simon have a thing and Eleanor and uh, Theodore have a thing. But Brittany is kind of curious as to why Alvin hasn't asked him, uh, asked her rather to go to the ball with her. Meanwhile, back at the Chipmunks house, there's a similar situation going on with Simon perfectly crafting a valentine for Jeanette and Theodore making cookies for Eleanor. But when they hear Alvin coming home from playing soccer, they suddenly have to hide all the Valentine's Day stuff because it turns out Alvin doesn't like Valentine's Day. He had his heart broken at some point in the past. This might have been in a previous season of the show. I don't know. Um... But basically, it seems like he was rejected in some way by some girl, and he can't stand to even hear the word Valentine's. Now, (laughs) obviously, the other two know that Brittany is going to want to go to the dance with her, but uh, he is just he, he can't bring himself to risk that kind of rejection again. And so he's just not gonna. So then we end up at school where we see that the other the others have paired off properly. You know, Jeanette's given her glue covered uh, Valentine to Simon and Theodore and uh, uh, these so many names. Theodore and Eleanor are hanging out. But Brittany. Well, well, first of all, Alvin is by himself eating lunch and just stupid Valentine's Day. And he's also kind of trying to make himself feel better about it by the fact that Brittany is surrounded by boys who are suiting her, I guess. Mm. But Brittany is just still looking around wondering why Alvin hasn't asked her to the dance yet. When she sees Alvin approaching, she tricks all the guys into leaving, but it turns out that Alvin is just throwing out his garbage. So Brittany is pretty convinced that Alvin's never going to ask her. And the other four are just. So Simon and Theodore take it upon themselves to try to impress upon Alvin that Brittany is not going to reject him. She wants him to ask Mm. her to the dance. This is before girls were allowed to ask boys on dates, you know. Mm. Back at home, Alvin tries to call Brittany, but he just can't. He can't work up the courage to say anything. So now Simon gets a different idea. He records a tape telling Alvin about how much the ladies love him and basically just building up his confidence as a ladies man. The idea being subliminal message, you know, Alvin listens to the tape overnight and the tape is telling him that he's, you know, he's a Casanova. He's a romantic and the ladies love him. And for some reason, this prompts Alvin to start sleepwalking. He dresses up kind of in a Zorro style outfit and heads out on a bike in the middle of the night, (laughs) wooing everyone that he finds, which is an old lady on a bench. And boy, there's this there's a part where he finds a horse. And for a minute, I was really worried that this was going to be a (laughs) like all the females love him. (laughs) Yeah, like a Minerva Mink kind of situation where the horse swoons. Because he's looking because he's looking at this horse like, (gasps) but it turns out it's just so that he can ride the horse instead of his bike. Oh, this is a musical number, by the way. And he is singing that he is Captain Chipmunk, the ultimate heartbreaker or heart warmer or whatever. You know, 
I am going to follow your instinct here, and I'll ship Alvin and the horse. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so in the middle of the night, Captain Chipmunk goes to the Chipette's house, where Brittany is still, in the middle of the night, pining for Alvin. She's ready to give up, but then this Captain Chipmunk character shows up and starts serenading her. She uh, goes away with him. She is smitten because he's just such a smooth ladies man. He's so hypnotized by his uh, his subliminal messages. Yeah. He takes her for a ride on the horse, but she gets knocked off by a branch and into a mud puddle. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all she knows is that this is Captain Chipmunk and he has asked her to the Valentine's Day ball. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it, but there's also this like valentine's king and queen thing you know where like the best couple will be like the valentine's king and queen anyway alvin gets back home and takes off his disguise and uh, crawls back into bed no memory of what he did while he was sleepwalking but the next day he still feels pretty confident it seems that the uh the, the subliminal messaging worked he's tired and he doesn't know why but he's confident and he's ready to ask Brittany out but Brittany is with her friends, telling them all about the dashing new man that she met. And then when Alvin finally does come and ask her to the dance, she wants to go with him. But unfortunately, he missed his chance. Mm. And that gets Alvin frozen, just shocked. He's been rejected again. <laughs> his brothers kind of don't know what to do with him. He goes to sleep at 8.30. Yeah. And he, he starts sleepwalking at 10 o'clock. Okay. So Simon recorded like over an hour and a half of him uh, building up Alvin's confidence. Like for yeah. over an hour and a half, he was saying like, you're suave. You are yeah. uh, God's gift to women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's ridiculous. Maybe he also, looped it. I don't know. I'm not sure it would even fit on one side of a tape. Yeah, true enough. Okay, anyway. Um, the, so apparently this Valentine's Day ball thing has like different phases. There's like f semifinals hmm. and finals and stuff. And so on this first night, um, Brittany is waiting for Captain Chipmunk to show up, but he doesn't. And she's all heartbroken again because now her new beau has also abandoned her. But she is not willing to let Alvin realize that she doesn't have a date. So she figures that uh, just dressing up Jeanette as Captain Chipmunk will do the trick. <laughs> um, which I don't know. I think Jeanette is cute. I like Jeanette. Most people think Jeanette is cute. And I wonder how many people thought she was extra cute as Captain Chipmunk. <laughs> oh Actually, here on this, <laughs> you noted that uh, Theodore's thing is being fat and Eleanor's thing is being fat. It's kind of funny that the Chipmunks and Chipettes coupled based on body type. Sort of. <laughs> when, curiously, Simon is the capable one of the Chipmunks, but Eleanor is the capable one of the Chipettes. Mm, mm. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the ball to recap, Alvin is not going to get shown up by, uh, 
uh, Brittany's new guy. And Brittany, having been jilted by her new guy, is not going to show weakness to Alvin. Uh, Simon has prepared a fake girl, a blow-up doll. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wonderfully lifeless. Yeah. Uh, Cindy, I think the name is. Mm. Um, who Alvin is, has taken to the first round of the ball, I guess, as his date. (laughs) And, uh, Brittany is with Jeanette, which of course dooms, uh, Simon and Jeanette's chances of being champions, but uh, I guess they'll make the sacrifice because, you know, <laughs> Brittany is just that pushy. Mm. There's an applause meter, which uh, Alvin and Cindy win. But when Eleanor goes to pin the badge on Cindy, of course, it pops the balloon. And Alvin tries to play like, oh, Cindy, I had no idea. Goodness. And he throws the doll away, which knocks off uh, Jeanette's costume, thus exposing that Brittany was also alone. Hmm. Oh, dear. So now they're both humiliated. (laughs) (laughs) Just listen to the investment. (laughs) You know, I got more and more into this. Like, I... Okay. I started out the first the first few minutes of this. I was yeah. cringing and like, oh, I had to actually stop and play around <laughs> with the Binding of Isaac to get the to like steal myself. Yeah. But the more I watched it, the more I actually kind of got into it a little bit. OK. Anyway, there's a sequence now. It's a kind of duet um, song where both Brittany and Alvin have given up on love as they go to bed. Um, but Alvin, as he tosses and turns, <laughs> ridiculously hits the button on the tape player and the continuing praise by hmm. his brother, Simon, uh, triggers another sleepwalking uh, bout. He uh, is Captain Chipmunk again and he gets back on his horse. Um, he wants to, you know, he's all confident. He wants to jump over a wall but the horse knows that that's no good. And landing in some water on the other side does two things. One, it wakes Alvin up. And two, it causes him to see his reflection and realize that he is Captain Chipmunk. And he realizes he must have been sleepwalking. And so he figures this is his chance to really show Brittany. <laughs> yeah. He uh, shows up back at the Chip Hat's house and uh, the... The sisters get Brittany out and show him, hey, Captain Chipmunk's here. And she forgives him real, real fast for standing him up. Hmm. Um, At this point, Alvin is trying to tell Brittany that he's Alvin, but uh, Brittany isn't letting him talk and also refers to Alvin as a toad. And so now Alvin has a new idea. He goes to the ball with Brittany, but... No, wait, no, he doesn't go to the ball with Brittany. He go, mm. he shows up later in a much shabbier version <laughs> of the uh, Captain Chipmunk costume, acting like a lout. He is playing the fool. good. Oh, he's he's just like <laughs> tossing her around as they're trying to yeah. dance and just being a, a total jerk. Mm. And then uh, as it gets late and they're getting close to the uh, picking the king and queen time, he decides that it's tired and he's going to leave. So bye, Brittany. 
That'll show her. And then as he's uh, discarding his Captain Chipmunk costume, however, he hears Brittany crying and saying that all she really ever wanted was for Alvin to take her to the dance. And now Alvin's realizing, shoot, if I had just asked her when I had the chance, none of this would have happened. And, well, that kind of produces a change of heart in him. He comes to Brittany's aid. He gets in his uh, fancy, his sort of weird tuxedo thing where his A shirt now has a yes. black A on it. And um, He's got tails over top of his, his yeah, 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 ankle-length yeah. sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah really. Um, he shows up. Just as the uh, Valentine's Day ball is nearing the end, like there's they're like the last the surprise last entry in the voting or whatever. Oh, I'm and calling I'm, I'm calling corruption on this whole thing. Y- well, yeah, their, their father, their father's the MC and yeah, no like kidding. Eleanor, Eleanor awards the prize. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they dance at the end and turns out that they get voted the king and queen. <laughs> Brittany is so happy that she's moved to tears and for some reason reaches into Alvin's coat for a handkerchief. Mm. And what she pulls out is the Captain Chipmunk mask. And he she she realizes what has happened, sort of. She realizes that uh, Alvin was Captain Chipmunk. This is actually my favorite part. She takes it really well. And Alvin comments on the fact that she's taking it really well. And she just kind of as she's smiling and wavy, she just kind of says, I'm going to kill you. There's not a lot of emotion in any of the chipmunks or chipettes voices because just the way that the voices are done with the actors speaking slowly and then getting sped Mm. up. Right. It's it's hard to have any kind of real acting in it. So it's not good voice acting, but I don't blame it. But it I think ki- over time, over time, they got better at differentiating mm. them, you mm. know, giving Theodore his character and so on. Yeah, yeah. Well, Theodore, they do sound a little different. Um, what we yeah. alluded to earlier, uh, Ross Bagdaz- Bagdazarian Jr., he voices Alvin and Simon and mm. his wife, Janice Kaplan voices Theodore and all three chipettes. Yeah. All, oh, and, and Ross Jr. also voices Dave. So mm-hmm. basically only two voice actors in this entire thing doing one to three, seven characters. Huh. I wonder if anyone. Yeah. Some of the kids speak. Anyway. Uh, there, there might be some incidental voices. Here. The yeah. version of this that I watched didn't actually have the ending credits, so I couldn't see. Oh, but it did have 80s commercials in it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, this show was sponsored by McDonald's. The entire first commercial break was just one big long McDonald's commercial. Back when their I slogan like back when their slogan was it's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. Yeah. Oh boy, I've been th- I- I've been through all of it. The one before that was you deserve a break today. I forgot about Remember that, that one. I yeah, forgot about that a, one, yeah. It's a good that's when you said it's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's, right? And then yeah. there's a uh, <laughs> it's Mac tonight. Remember oh, that? Oh yeah, guy? well that that was a that was a side thing around this area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mac tonight. It's uh, <laughs> it's a parody of the song Mac the Knife. Right, right. Anyway, I kind of like that. I like that. See, sometimes I'll just watch all the commercials that were on during cartoons in a yeah. certain year. Yeah. The yeah. thing is, I guess this was a primetime special because there aren't a lot of kids commercials in here. Yes, like, and that's 
that's a running theme on Animation Celery is like you just get anyone that's in their 30s or younger. They just don't know. Right. That, yeah. That this and, and probably, you know, our very slight age difference uh, means that you probably don't remember watching this, I would bet. Well, no, I mean, I, I 1984, I would have been six. Valentine's Day, 1984. Yeah, I would have just been yeah. six. So, yeah, I probably this was probably just before I was cognizant enough. I mean, I would have been but in like first grade or so. It was like saying that the raccoons were an opportunity to watch a cartoon on Sunday. This, specials like these were an opportunity to watch a cartoon at eight o'clock. Oh, I don't. I remember wow. specials. I remember primetime yeah. specials. Absolutely. I don't. I may not remember this specific one, but I remember yeah, the yeah. fact that they existed. The kind of spinny. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and I and weirdly, I remember Rock and Rule being on CBC. <laughs> well. Anything goes with CBC, apparently. Yeah, really. And, you know, <laughs> Nelvana desperate to get that thing shown somewhere. Right. Anyway, that's kind of the end of this one. Yeah. Um, okay. Like I said. Oh, sorry, what? You know, it's also weird about the chipmunks and chipettes having a relationship. Huh? This It, it always seems weird to me when brothers and sisters marry or hmm. date or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Right? Like, I guess there's nothing genetically wrong with it necessarily. No. Uh, it, but you still make a really weird family tree, right? Kind of. It's like, it's sort of like three parallel family trees next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're... Or, or no, it would be two family trees with three branches connecting. Right. Yeah. And, and your cousins are cousins two different ways. It's kind of weird. Um. Yeah. Huh. I, I don't know. Fortunately, I don't think I have to think about that. I just, I was never that much into the chipmunks. No. But, you know, there was something I watched, though. And so I, you know. Well, like, yeah. I was curious about the chipmunks' hair. What is their hair like? <laughs> Yeah. You know, they've got this sort of like Play-Doh Fun Factory mop on their head. <laughs> I guess, sort of. Um, yeah, the chipmunks are all right. Like, I, 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 the voice acting is, like I said, I'll give it a pass because <laughs> it was what it had to be. I have weirdly fond memories, or at least I remember being okay, uh, the movie, The Chipmunks Adventure. Oh, the movie's kind of cool. Yeah. It's got a cool premise. The animation is good. Inter good songs, too. At, at least. Yeah, the boys are rocking. That's rogue. the one. Yeah. That's yeah. the one. It, apparently, it's actually titled The Girls of Rock and Roll because it does both oh. throughout the course of the song. Right, right. But the title is The Girls of Rock and Roll. Um, weirdly, you know, for whatever age they're supposed to be, weirdly sexy chipettes. Oh, man. I mean, they spend they're, half the movie in harem costumes. Yeah, singing to a bunch of snakes. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I forgot to mention mm. one of the appealing things to me about Shantae. She's got purple yep. hair. Oh, okay. Speaking of harem outfits and sexy. But uh, yeah, so the chipmunks, um, there's still a thing. There have been four live action movies. The second of which introduced the chipettes. I remember reading a review that was negative about the second one. 
Okay. And it was saying like, well, it's probably going to make millions of dollars though. So we'll only have ourselves to bring to blame. Cause the, the first one was Alvin and the chipmunks or the chipmunks. I think it was just the chipmunks. It's the chipmunks. And then the squeak wool, the squeak. And then, and then shipwrecked. And then, and then, road, then the road chip. But, Oh, okay. But the, um, <laughs> the, the, the review that I saw postulated that it was a review of the squeak wool. And it was a negative okay. review, like I said, and it's and it's saying like we'll only have ourselves to blame in two years when we see the chipmunks, Alvin, Simon, and Three D Or. And I thought <laughs> that's actually a pretty good title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one thing I, I I haven't watched any of those movies, but one thing I do appreciate though is that they look like chipmunks in the movies. Yeah. They yeah. They're like computer animated animals they have like claw well, feet and stuff they have tails <laughs> and their ears aren't on the sides of their heads like hmm. the, the chipmunks and even less the chipettes look like animals yeah they're small but they're not chipmunk small yeah um well oh, you know the i was saying there's an inconsistency uh with their animalianness in the show mm-hmm. another thing that's inconsistent is are they rock stars or not yeah really it's hard to tell isn't it yeah, it's like you think that uh, Alvin could get like just about any date he wants. He's probably got stalkers. He's probably <laughs> got weirdos that want to take him across state lines, or you know, <laughs> <laughs> not well, not to mention Brittany. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. It's kind of like the Archies, you know, like mm. in depending on which comic you read, like the Archies had like a number. They legitimately did have like a big hit. Uh, uh, Sugar, yeah, yeah, is that what it was, yeah. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, that song, and like sometimes in the comics, they're big rock stars, and right, then most of the time, they're just high school schlubs. So, that I, although sh- the, they go to like obviously a school for rich kids, that Valentine's dance was like in a palace. Oh, the chipmunks, yeah. Yeah, they have like archways and grand staircases and chandeliers and stuff. Yeah, maybe maybe they are quite well to do, although it wasn't like fold out tables, you know, and uh, bleachers and stuff. Shame that they all share the same room. Then you'd think they would be able to afford their own rooms, especially in a house oh, that size. Le- yeah, look at that house. Yeah, <laughs> we have one bedroom for the kids and then we have uh a guest bedroom and this is just a generic playroom too bad we couldn't think, think of anything else to hmm? yeah dave seville is like uh uh like the jackson five's father or uh <laughs> don king or you know he's just a mean you know, manipulator you know in junior high there was a science teacher that mm. a friend of ours um I'll let you I'll let you pick out which of our friends I actually went to junior high with. There's only one. I know what you're talking about. I know Um, what you're talking about. He was convinced that this one teacher looked just like Dave. Right. And he he drew comics where this teacher was Dave's evil twin. Like Oh right. Oh speaking of creeps, he was like stalking Alvin in the shower. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Do you have you seen these comics? I've seen some of them, yeah. <laughs> Theodore, let's talk about asexual reproduction. <laughs> That's the one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe you remember that. That's awesome. 
Of course. Yeah, hi, yeah. hi, Saul. We all love you. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of things we all love, um, do you have anything that we're going to love? Yeah, the Smurfs. All right. You know, and boy, by the way, amazing, uh, amazing through lines through our two picks <laughs> that they both have slow voice acting that's sped up to be higher pitched. <laughs> um, both the same time period and uh, both have somewhat recent live action movies. Yeah, both um, like old properties that yeah. became animated series in the 80s and have stayed mm-hmm. around and had revivals. So the basics on the Smurfs. In the 1950s, a Belgian comicer named Peo created a saga around a brave medieval page named Johan and his minstrel sidekick Peewee. And one of those stories introduced the Smurfs, miniature blue forest folk, and their popularity took off. It led Peo to form a studio and hire other comicers to produce Smurf storylines. Smurfs are said to be three apples tall, but if you ask me, they look no more than one apple. Yeah, they're pretty small. Yeah. There are a hundred of them, and they live in houses made from toadstools. Smurfs each wear white footy pants and white caps. The exception is their leader, Papa Smurf, who wears red. Each Smurf has a name that reflects his role or prime characteristic. For example, Handy Smurf is their fix-it man. Grouchy Smurf has a sour attitude. And I always thought that Greedy Smurf got a really raw deal with his name. Yeah. He's a bit of a glutton, but he should have been dubbed more nicely because he cooks three meals a day for a hundred (laughs) people. Yeah. Should have been called selfless Smurf, I think. No, you're, you're totally right about that. Yeah. I, I, I remember even as a kid thinking that that didn't quite work. No assistance. Yeah. Anyway. So Smurfette is so named because she's the only female Smurf. For now. In, well, yes. In fact, she was created by an evil hermit wizard named Gargamel, who lives on the edge of the forest. He wants to catch the Smurfs in order to use them as reagents for a spell that will make gold. Or sometimes he just wants to eat them. Yeah. The original purpose of Smurfette was to sow discord among the Blue Pixies as the only available lady of their kind. But Papa Smurf desorcelled her so that she became good and joined the village. Yeah, this all happened in a much later episode. (laughs) Yeah, a little flashback. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny because this is more or less the same plot. What we're looking at is Romeo and Smurfette, directed by Ray Patterson, 1981. Yeah. So at the beginning, Gargamel muses on the beauty of spring to his cat, Asriel, but he doesn't care for it at all. His mood reverses to delight, though, when an evil seasonal plot plot comes to mind. Meanwhile, Papa Smurf enjoys springtime in Smurf Village, but every Smurf he observes is lovesick for Smurfette. They're clipping Smurfette-shaped topiary bushes, baking Smurfette-shaped cakes, painting Smurfette, and making Smurfette-shaped smoke signals. (laughs) Pretty talented. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a weird one. Like, which Smurf is that? Smoky Smurf? <laughs> yeah, I know. He had a he had a rake, so I don't know. He didn't 
Farmer Smurf is a distinctive design, so I don't think. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, every Smurf rushes to Smurfette's house, each with flowers in hand, to propose marriage. Papa dismisses the bothersome mob, but he can't help but hint at his own candidacy as a husband. What a creep. He's like 400 years older than her. <laughs> well, at least. he's 400 years he's older if- than her, but only because she was created artificially. Like other Smurfs are like, you know, only 200. Oh, man, if we get into this whole thing, Smurfs are born on a blue moon. The stork brings them. Hmm. This isn't in the episode, by the way. This is like Smurf lore, I know. Okay. okay. Um, it really makes me wonder about the age disparity of the existing Smurfs. Like, which are the oldest ones? You know, which ones are relative newcomers? Anyway. I wonder if they celebrate their birthday on every blue moon. Actually, I guess on the official lore, a wizard made the Smurfs. So maybe he made 99 Smurfs. Gargamel uh, created Smurfette. And then Baby Smurf was the first one to fulfill like a prophecy of being delivered by this. Any, anyway, yeah, we're getting in the weeds. Yeah. So Romeo and Smurfette. Yeah. Uh, out in the woods, Gargamel plants a big flower with magical pollen and more on this to come. <laughs> Back at the Toadstool Village, when Papa spies Hefty lifting Smurfette over a mud puddle, he gets the idea to borrow Hefty Smurf's exercise gear in order to get tip top shape. Smurfette takes a walk in order to think over which Smurf she might marry. And it's then that she comes by amazing coincidence across Gargamel's trap flower. It hypnotizes her and she walks to the wizard's hovel to get instructions. Then she returns to the village and executes the evil plan. She limits her choice between handy Smurf for his brains and hefty Smurf for his brawn. This divides the village into two camps, bitterly quarreling for their champion. And Papa Smurf frustratedly throws out his exercise bike. (laughs) Um, That night, Handy and Hefty show up with musicians in order to compete for Smurfette by serenade. But the groups devolve into a brawl. Also, each of them uh, was interrupted by poor trumpet play. But this is strange. The trumpeter laughs like Jokey Smurf. But Smurfs already has a bad bugler named Harmony. Hmm. And he usually gets thrown as punishment. So I think this is supposed to be Harmony. Yeah. And that Jokey's voice is a mistake. Well, you know, Jokey was June Foray, of course. And so, I mean, you know, you want to get a June Foray laugh in there somewhere. Sure, sure. Oh, man, this show, this show and its voice cast is oh. like everybody, oh, everybody boy. that you can think we of. We got to talk about that later because there's one yeah, particular yeah. voice in this that blew my mind wide open. OK, OK, we'll get there. So uh, Papa Smurf finds a piece or a bud or something from the cursed flower. Well, um, and it's uh, Matt, uh, Smurfette threw Smurf, it away. Smurfette's carrying it. Smurf, yeah. yeah, she's yeah. been smelling it to like re up her hypnotism, but uh, yeah. she threw it away at some point. Yeah, and he catches it, and then it magically disappears, which makes him suspect Gargamel. Anyway, Papa Smurf works on a potion to break her enchantment, but the fighting of the villagers, this big dust cloud with flying fists and feet, makes him drop and break the vial. Plan B sees the old blue wizard go to the hovel to switch bodies with his enemy with the spell, Tit for tat, make this like that. Boy, I had no idea what Papa Smurf was thinking at this point. 
Like, this is well, one of those rare instances where I'm watching a cartoon and it's like, I don't know where this plot is going. You didn't realize that he was so incredibly powerful. That too. He's got like sixth and seventh level spells. And by so, the way, my I'm sure I've mentioned this previously, but pet peeve when two characters, when two characters yeah. switch bodies and their voices also switch. Yeah, their larynxes did not trade places. Stop it. Well, maybe this is medieval logic where your your voice is attached to your soul or something. <sighs> anyway, Asriel the cat attacks the little Smurf with Gargamel's mind inside. But Gargasmurf chides him that his old body, the big Gargamel body, is actually the Smurf. Papamel shows up at the village to unite his Smurfs again to fight a common foe. While they're busy restraining their elder in human form, Gargamel as a Smurf finds the spell in one of Papa Smurf's spellbooks and switches their bodies back. He also pushes Smurfette and a bonk to her head brings her to her senses. Gargamel runs amok, catching Smurf after Smurf, but Azrael, his cat, confused from their earlier exchange, attacks him, believing him to be a Smurf. This allows the Smurfs to get away. And though Gargamel was led to the Toadstool Village, Gargamel, as usual, can't find his way in the woods. In the end, Smurfette decides that she's too young to get married. Nonetheless, Papa Smurf returns to his workout regime in order to be ready for next spring. The creep. Yeah, I like the the wrapped up ending where she's like, how could I possibly decide? Because I love you all. And then, yay. And it immediately goes to stock footage of them having a concert and playing. And stuff. Right. <laughs> and doing their circle and whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. One of the weird things about this, I watched various versions of this episode. Okay. <laughs> that might sound strange. That might sound strange. Um, the opening. Okay, so the opening that I'm used to, that I guess really would have been ingrained in my mind watching before school, was the Smurf song, the la, 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 Smurf, a happy song. Yeah. That thing? Yeah. That melody. But yeah. there's actually two different openings that come before that one. Hmm. Um one is a totally different song and, and visuals for that matter. And the other is those same visuals, except there's a voiceover that explains that a wizard made the Smurfs. Hmm. And that, the, and <laughs> do you can tell this is made for really little kids? Cause they tell you that the Smurfs are good and Gargamel <laughs> is bad. <laughs> While Gargamel is stumbling around with a log stuck on his head. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. The actual like official Smurfs YouTube channel version of this doesn't have the intro at all. Oh, well, there's just so jumps, many different ones. It just jumps right into the episode. You know, after they go to the la 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 song, yeah. um, they have that other other version where Gargamel is at his most threatening. You know, the one I'm talking about where he's like reciting a spell on the cliff. I think so. And he's saying like, yeah, yeah. Um, what is it? Uh, uh, Ravage the land as never before. Total destruction from mountains to shore. And there's oh, and like earthquakes and lava. And yeah, I remember the, the Smurfs the, like running around through cracked terrain and stuff. Yeah. 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 Their floodgate breaks and yeah. Yeah. So I do remember Gargamel that. Gargamel is most menacing. Um, anyway, you know what's kind of funny? You've heard me do this before where I list like my most influential cartoons and I start with He-Man. Okay. I say He-Man, Transformers, Real Ghostbusters, Gummy Bears, and I run through them like that, right? Mm-hmm. 
But prior to He-Man, there definitely was Smurfs. Like, because uh, I, I always really like medieval things, mm-hmm. right? Like knights and dragons and whatnot. So sure. this fits that bill. Yeah. Um, and my aunt got me the uh, um, the audio cassettes oh. <laughs> for the Smurfs. Okay. Explain, explains all the things and has songs and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I was I was pretty into them. Um, they were just kind of this thing that you couldn't help but have stuff. Like, I, I remember these little, like, vinyl figurines of the Smurfs. Yes. That had a bunch of. Like. And yeah. it's just, like, the merchandising of the Smurfs was so ubiquitous that you kind of couldn't help mm. having Smurf something. Right. Well, I was all in to, like, the age of four or five. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. But, uh. Pretty neat. And, you know, it's funny. If you wanted to pick Valentine appropriate Smurf cartoons, there are, there's quite a few. Yeah. Like another good choice would have been um, Handy Smurf has a romance uh, with a tiny mermaid named Marina. Hmm. That would have been a good pick, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just remembered the opening part where all the Smurfs were trying to get with Smurfette and Papa Smurf shoot him off. But then he made his move. Yes, what a what a crap it. He's like, you, you could be Mama Smurf. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> she does a very good job just letting that wash past her, you know, just like, oh, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Papa Smurf. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if she leans anyway, it's to Wild Smurf from mm. way later. Speaking of way later, it also prompted me to be curious. The last season of this iteration of the Smurfs Mm -hmm. is a weird one. Uh, It introduces um, Grandma Smurf and these time crystals. Yeah. So there's like, yeah. So uh, the time crystals transport them to a different time and place. And then it's sort of like Dragon Ball and that they scatter <laughs> and they have to refind them, right? <laughs> that's, that's a really funny comparison. <laughs> but it's well, I was gonna say it's, it's like Dragon Ball meets Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, that now. That's so strange. Like this weird, like Homer's Odyssey. Like Yes, yes. Man. I'm, and I so I was reading about it, and like one of the odd things is that in various times and places they'll meet like the uh like the, the, they'll meet the 1000 BC Chinese Gargamel or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, but I kind of thought like, oh, you know, I don't remember how that ended. I kind of would like to watch through. But you know what? They never ended it. They left it unresolved. The Smurfs are lost in time. Aww. They they actually, Hanna-Barbera has made a, uh, uh, or whatever they're called now, Um they they made a finale for 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. I think they ought to make a finale for uh, original Smurfs. Um, <laughs> Bring them back. I think Bring them back home. How many of that voice cast is dead now, though? Oh, Frank Walger has to be them all now. <laughs> Speaking of which. Yeah. The voice cast. Yeah. Hefty Smurf is Frank Welker. And, you know, funny enough, it's been a few weeks. It's good to hear him again. Yeah. Um, is he Asriel? Don Messick? Probably. I didn't look that one. Actually, I didn't see him on the list. He's anyway. Um, Don Messick is Papa Smurf mm. and people know him as Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Paul Winchell is Gargamel. 
And of course, Tigger. Yeah. Um, also the father of April Winchell, uh, a.k.a. Peg from Goof Troop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Runs in the family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lucille Bliss is Smurfette. Okay, hold and on a second. Wow. What? I, I know that you're about to wow. list off some names for Lucille Bliss. Yeah. So strap in. This is bonkers. Lucille Bliss. Okay. Some of, vo- some of her voice credits. Get ready for this. Go, Micah. Give it to okay. us. Well, I only had one, really. Oh. I guess I didn't look into... I had Crusader Rabbit, which I oh. didn't... Uh, never watched. So I don't I, I don't know. Oh. How. My brother's watched it, but... Well, you want me to give you some other voices that Lucille Bliss did? What, what did I miss? She was Anastasia, one of the Wicked Stepsisters in the 1950 Cinderella. Okay. And she did some other stuff, too, but going all the way to the other end of her career? Yeah. Get this. She okay. was Miss Bitters, the teacher in Invader Zim. Oh, <laughs> cute. And I went back and watched some Invader Zim to listen to it. And I'm like, that's totally her. She's much older. <laughs> like she's 20 years older yeah. at that point. But at the same time, it was like, wow. So get so 1950 Anastasia, the wicked stepsister in Cinderella up yeah. to like 2001 the teacher in Invader Zim, and in the middle, Smurfette. Hmm. That's bonkers. I would not have guessed, I would have not guessed that would be the one that would have blown you away. I mean, everybody, everybody worked on Smurfs oh, in his nine boy. years. Yeah. Um, Michael Bell is Handy Smurf mm-hmm. and Grouchy Smurf, but once I tell you that he's Duke from G.I. Joe, <laughs> you'll go, oh, yeah, he's like a million people. <laughs> yeah. He's like three Transformers. and Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, Tom Holt, I think his name was, the guy that was the uh, the Blue Racer. <laughs> he's one of the Smurfs as <laughs> Tom well. Tom Holland. <laughs> Tom Holland. No, 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 no. No, Holland was uh, oh, Bob the... Holt. Uh, Bob Holt. Bob Holt. Bob Holt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what I was thinking, too? I haven't watched the Smurf movies. Mm-hmm. But I think Hank Azaria as Gargamel feels like it could be almost as good as J.K. Simmons as Joe Jana Jameson. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. You know, his look, his voice. Right. Seems pretty right. Yeah. Um, I actually looked. If you go to the Wikipedia page for the Smurfs, there's a huge list of voices, like like people who did even just single voices in single episodes. Oh, freaking everybody. It's a crazy... Like, let me see here. Let me just go down the list a little bit. René Arbergenois. Uh, (laughs) He was additional voices. Uh, You got Egg. Well, okay. Ed Begley Jr. Ruth Buzzy. um, George Takei. Rusi Taylor. uh, Kath Susie's one. Kath Susie's here. Yep. Um, I'm just just, uh, scrolling down here. Um, Hmm. Well, there's an early Rob Paulson. Oh, yeah. Alan Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. was Vanity yeah, yeah. Smurf. I was listening to Vanity in this episode. In this episode. And I was yeah, trying yeah. to think like, oh, who is? I know that voice. Who is it? Uh, Alan Oppenheimer was uh, uh, um, Skeletor. Skeletor. Thank you. Skeletor. Yeah. Um, later, Grandpa Smurf shows up and he's Jonathan Winters. Yes. <laughs> um, 
it's it was almost like an early version of the simpsons where like anyone who's anyone does at least one voice in the smurfs oh man i doubt it was a big badge of esteem though well no <laughs> why hasn't hanna barbera called me yet i want to be a smurf <laughs> william christopher was in there he was um hmm. he was angel smurf apparently um Huh. He was, uh, William Christopher was uh, Father Mulcahy in MASH. Oh, okay. Which I guess would have been a going concern at this time. Anyway, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, kinda. Nostalgic at least. I, I like it. You know, I like the art in it. I mean, the animation is hit or miss, but I like the way the, that the, the Smurfs, backgrounds are pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like the way the Smurfs look. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, the backgrounds are have a nice it's almost it's kind of like the same level of distinct as like Dr. Seuss in a way. Like not yeah. like it doesn't look like Dr. Seuss, but in the same way that Dr. Seuss is like distinct. This is distinct like those mushrooms, Smurf mushrooms, yeah. man. It's also got lore, too. You mm-hmm. know, like there's a uh, father time and mother nature are a married couple. Yeah. And, like, go- govern the laws of the universe. Yeah. I like Mother Nature Kinda with neat. her four wands. The different seasons. Yeah. I like elemental, like, crystals and wands and things. <laughs> I remember the G.I. Joe where there were, like, different elements to make some, like... Was it was it a weather-controlling device? Right. The second arc, I think? Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, the, the Smurfs is okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, I think uh, that's hot take enough. <laughs> um, I think maybe we should move on to next week. Okay. And here's the thing, is that I don't know what it is, except that it's a movie. Yeah. Um, so, you mentioned wanting to do some kind of one of our little event things where we watch a series or a movie or some, or have a theme or something. And okay. I had a movie in mind that I... There's no reason to watch this or for me to want to watch this other than <laughs> I saw a clip of it on YouTube and thought I would like to watch the rest of this and decided I okay. will save it for the show. So okay. no grand plan. I am going into this blind. There's probably boss baby. There's, uh, boss baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a movie called the 12 tasks of Asterix. Okay. Neat. Yeah. I've not watched it. I watched another Asterix modern movie, but uh, it it makes me want to watch another one. Sure. This is, yeah. I think this is an older one. Oh, I'm not, okay, okay. I'm not exactly sure. Well, hang on. I will find out right now. Give me a second. Uh, 12. 1976. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah. And then I have also, just to give a warning I have given Micah carte blanche to pick the next week after that. So, same thing. I'm picking this. Micah gets the next one. Uh, okay. But, yeah. Great. Um, until then, let us know what you think of the show. Tell us things that you want to watch. And share it with all of your friends. Uh, and you can share the fact that you shared it with me on Twitter at ACMatsy. I'm also on Twitter. I'm at DrabSwatch. Now, if I may direct your attention to this PowerPoint, let's review the three pillars of animation celery, or Cesarus. Consumer engagement. Social responsibility. 
and the celery stalker's slogan. Imagine yourself the most dashing man in the world. Women find you irresistible. They're putty in your hands. <laughs> 